Okay, so uh, those of you that are joining us for the first time, we are um, doing two books of the Bible at the same time. So it's, we're going through Jonah to look at the drama of doctrine, and then we're going to 1 Peter to look at the clarity of doctrine. And the doctrine that we're looking at is called the strange God. And we're going back and forth, and so this week we're back in Peter. Uh, if you're like, well, I need to get caught up... Uh, Great, you got all that social media or website kind of stuff. You can get all caught up if you if you need to. Um, but we're in First Peter. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25 today. Now, how many of you know who BB Warfield is? If you're from our tradition, you you probably know. If you're not from our tradition, you don't know, and that's fine. I'm here to tell you who he is. BB uh, Warfield is one of America's greatest theologians. He taught at Princeton Seminary in the late 1800s to the early 1900s. Uh, at that time, that seminary was the largest seminary in the world. It was the most influential seminary in the world. You might have heard of some of these, like, powerhouse professors that have come out of Princeton Seminary. You had Alexander, you had Hodge, it's Charles, and then Charles's son was uh, Alexander Hodge. You, Burkhoff, maybe you've heard of, he wrote a, the classic of systematic theologies for our tradition. Uh, you got Voss, who is like one of my favorite all-time authors. He took systematic and biblical theology and brought them together to tell the story of the Bible. It's phenomenal. Uh, you've got Van Til. A whole issue of apologetics came from Van Til that most everybody today in this tradition use. Uh, Machen, who founded, who was there and then went on to find uh, Westminster Seminary. Just a few of the names that have come out of this place. Now, Warfield's theological writings are classics, right? You've heard of the inspiration and authority of the Bible. Of course you've read it. You've read the person and work of Christ, a must-read. You've read perfectionism, a critique of a form of sanctification that was sweeping the country then, sweeps the country now. I encourage you to pick that one up. Biblical doctrine, studies in theology, all this stuff is still read today by countless pastors and theologians in the United States and around the world. He died on February 16, 1921. He taught classes just a few hours before he died. I mean, a warrior, right? What most people don't know about him was his relationship with his wife. Annie Pierce Kincaid. So on their honeymoon in Leipzig, I think that's at Leipzig, Germany, they were walking in the Harz Mountains. William, am I getting that right or am I just butchering all that? Uh, a fierce thunderstorm rolls in unexpectedly and she gets struck by lightning. He has to carry her to save her life. He carries her all the way back, but she never fully recovers. Physically, she never fully recovers. She can't use her legs. Mentally, she doesn't fully recover because she struggled with PTSD and other mental health issues the rest of her life. So Warfield goes on to teach at Princeton, but he never leaves Annie's side for more than two hours at a time. Never for more than two hours at a time. He had all his classes uh, scheduled to take place in his home. Every day he taught in his home. Every day he would bring her uh, up and down the stairs. He would carry her up and down the stairs of their home tenderly. He did this for 39 years. His world was Princeton Seminary. It shrunk and was limited to Princeton Seminary and the care of his wife for 39 years. 
Their marriage was legendary among the staff. Their legend, it was legendary among the students. Uh, some students, one student said, the gentleness of his manner was striking proof of the loving care with which he surrounded her. B.B. Warfield surrounded his wife with love. Everyone, everyone, everyone longs to be loved like that. And then this passage in 1 Peter comes along and says, Yeah, but you should love like that. You, 1 Peter says, our text today, were made to love like that. First Peter, Peter, the apostle, the Bible, God says to all of us this morning, love, love like that. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Now this text, uh, the session, the leadership of the church we've been working through as we're kind of studying the text. And those of you that are at the Redeemer Institute on Tuesday, I'm just, all the time while we're reading texts, I'm going to, because you're my A students, <laughs> I'm going to throw some things to you here. So we're about ready to read something. As you're reading this, I want you to see that there's only one main verb, so there's only one big idea. Everything else is supporting it. So as we hear this, see if you can find it. So you might think, oh, that's the main idea. It's not the main idea. There are many supporting ideas. Here we go. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, supporting idea, love one another, main idea. Earnestly from a pure heart, since, supporting idea, you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For, main idea, all flesh is like glass, Grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls or fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And here's another main idea. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and the dynamics of this passage. Would you give and grant what you say in this passage? Would you actually cause us? To love like that. And we know there's only one way that happens, and I pray that that powerfully comes through in this text, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you should long to love like that. We all should long to love like that. We were made to love like that. So let's look at the main verb up there, and I think it's there it is. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So you got it. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. To love earnestly. See that word earnestly? First of all, this is a command. So this is a command. You're being commanded. I'm being commanded. The church is being commanded to love like that. The church is commanded to love like B.B. Warfield. To love earnestly means to love eagerly. So now we're engaging. It also means to love fervently. In other words, you're commanded to do it passionately from your heart, eagerly, fervently, emotionally, passionately. You're commanded from the heart down to the depths of your desires 
and your thinking and your feeling spontaneously, instantaneously, not planned, not a choice, feel it. You're commanded to have that. To love earnestly means to love sacrificially or self-givingly. You're commanded to give it. It's an action. So right now, whatever we're talking about this love, it's a feeling, it's a passion, it's an emotion, and it's an action. It's self-giving action. It does something. And so, so far, you have a coin with two sides. It's called love. You have action on one side, passion on the other. Love is both. You just watch how we deal with love in the movies, how we deal with love in the church. We pick one and we leave off the other. For many, it's just the passion and the feeling, no action. It's not love. For others, it's this duty. I'm just going to suck it up and I love you, honey. That's not love. Action, passion, love, you're commanded to have both. And then to round it all off, to love earnestly means to love constantly, enduringly. (laughs) In other words, you're to be loyal in your love. This is a passage about loyal love. You're commanded to have loyal love. You were made to love like that. Notice Peter doesn't say in verse 22. Perfect. Ben, you are so on it, man. He doesn't say, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere marital love. Why doesn't he say marital love? Why does he say brotherly love? Because marital love has two loves. Marital love has loyal love, brotherly love, but marital love has romantic love, lover's love. But brotherly love is only one pure love, loyal love. And it's for everybody. I beat up my brother all the time growing up. I mean, he called it his daily beating. I think he went a little overboard. I mean, he did that at one RU, when he was at RUF, he was a pastor at RUF. He told all the students there one night that I had this daily, I have a daily beating that I have to get from my big brother all the time. I, I mean, everybody was coming up to me for weeks and weeks and weeks, just giving me this look and I couldn't figure it out. All the Baylor students were just like. And I was like, what is going on? And then I finally ring it out of my brother. He goes, yeah, yeah, I told him about the daily beating you gave me. I beat up my brother all the time, but nobody else could. Nobody else could touch my brother. Brotherly love. Loyal love. You were made for it. You're commanded to have it in your heart. You're commanded to have it in your actions. And you're commanded to be constant, loyal in it. So, I'm getting up there like in ministry experience. I've been a campus minister. I've been a missionary overseas. I've started campus ministries overseas. Uh, I've I've been to unreached areas. I've been to overchurched areas. I've been to unchurched areas. I've been to New England. I've been down here. I've done church planning. I've been a lead pastor, yada, yada, yada. I've seen all kinds of people. I've been to all kinds of places. Uh, I've seen all kinds of ages. 
all kinds of diversity since that's so important today to sing. I can tell you from firsthand experience that disloyal love wrecks relationships. Disloyal love wrecks marriages. Disloyal love wrecks families. Disloyal love wrecks churches. Disloyal love wrecks, wrecks communities. Disloyal love ruins institutions. Disloyal love brings down businesses. I can tell you disloyal love is the most painful of all relational pains. I can tell you Christians and churches are incredibly disloyal to each other. I can also tell you from firsthand experience that loyal love heals relationships and heals marriages and heals friendships and heals churches and heals communities and heals institutions and heals stuff that nobody thought could get healed. I also can tell you that loyal love makes enduring friendships and shapes enduring communities. Communities like the team I saw play on Friday night that have lion hearts, that don't quit, that always get up. I can tell you that from firsthand experience. I can tell you, like, do you remember that? Do you remember? The, it's one of the most powerful things. I mean, I've read all the books. I've read them several times. Our kids have read all the books several times. I mean, at least we're on our third, maybe fourth reading of seven books. Watch the movies every year. It's a tradition. It's coming up. We'll be doing it again. The most powerful scene in the whole thing is Harry knows he's got to go face the Dark Lord, right? What's his name? Voldemort. Yes, we can say the name. <laughs> he knows that he must die to save his friends. He knows he must die to save not only the wizarding world, but our world. And so he tries to sneak out of the castle. Remember that? Because he's got to face his doom all alone. But oh no, because he has a friend. And his friend's name is Hermione. And Hermione intercepts him on his way out of the castle. Where are you going? She knows everything. She knows he must die. She knew it before he did. She just couldn't stand him dying alone. I will go with you. Loyal love. Loyal love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love loyally. You should long to love like that. You were made to love like that. So why is it so hard? <laughs> we all know it's hard. Why are we so disloyal? Why is the church so disloyal of all places? Why don't we love loyally well? Verse 24, here's the answer. For, do you see that? Here's why. For, all flesh, this is a quote from Isaiah, all flesh, it's poetry, is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. Why is it so hard? Why are we so disloyal? Why do we not love loyally well? The answer from the Bible, the answer from God, the answer from an ancient text that goes all the way back to Isaiah and all the way into the New Testament, the answer is, is because you and me are grass. Grass. 
grass. We come into this world with a nature called grass. Now that's poetry, that's imagery, right? Grass withers, grass falls. I mean, y'all, we had a little rain, what, last week? Do you remember that? And all of a sudden, everything was brown, turned green. It was amazing. Just boom. Wow. Just a little green. And then the next day, brown again. Just like that. Just like that. Right? Grass. I mean, that's why we got images, but also you got theologians that come along. You got writers in the New Testament that come along. They'll take that idea of grass. You come in with a nature that's grass, and they give you a little more data, a little more clarity, a little more doctrine. They say that's called your sinful nature. It's called the Adamic self. It's called the old self, Paul says, if you're a Christian. It's called the collapsed self, if you're a modern-day theologian. I call it the zombie self, the sinking self, the flooded self, the decreating self. You come in, I come in with this nature, grass. All it does is wither. All it does is fall. There is no... Life, it withers, it falls, it dies and dies. The flesh self, the flesh you, only withers, only dries up, only falls. And the glory of that flesh only withers, only falls. And so I want you to think of it this way. You think of what's the glory of the flesh? Well, think of all the thinking that comes out of the flesh, all the the feelings that come out of the sinful nature, all the experiences that are a part of the broken, as Paul calls it, a body of death. We could call it like a corpse. All the thinking, all the feelings, all the relating, all the doings, all the experiences, all the achievements, all the works, all the glory of it, withering. All the glory of it, drying up. All the glory of it falling. In other words, it doesn't have loyal love. It can't produce loyal love. It doesn't have it in its thinking and its feelings and experiences. It doesn't have it in its heart. It doesn't have it in its actions and its doings and its attainments and achievements. It just doesn't have it. It's just not there. It withers and it falls. It's not loyal. This is why, according to one famous biblical counselor named Ed Welch, this is, he says, listen, we see and treat people this way. This is why we see and treat people this way. Grass only sees people and treats people this way. The sinful nature only sees people and treats people this way. And he gives a list of them. They're pretty good. He says, listen, we see people and we treat people as gas pumps to fill us. We see people and treat people as sought-after tickets to give us acceptance and fame. We see people and we treat people as priests who have this power to make us feel clean and okay. We see people and we treat people as terrorists. We just don't know when they're going to strike. We see people and we treat people as dictators whose every word is law, who control us. That's grass. That's what grass does. The grass self does. That's what the grass self can only do. The grass self cannot love loyally. The grass self 
doesn't love loyally. In other words, it needs and 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 needs. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love loyally. You should long to love like that. You were made to love like that. A.W. Tozer, another famous pastor, Pursuit of God, Knowledge of the Holy, standard reading like in campus ministries, wrote, Most of the world's great souls have been lonely. You know what 1 Peter says? It just adds something to it. Yeah, most of the world's great souls have been lonely. I agree with you, probably, maybe. But here's the deal. They still loved. They still loved. How do you still love when you're lonely? How do you need less and love more? How do we form enduring friendships and shape powerful, enduring community here at Redeemer? How do we do that? The answer from this text is only one answer. There is no other answer. So right now, you need to know, I need to know, if you're like, okay, there's got to be at least like a top ten list, right? And then I'll do at least three of them. I'm going to shorten your list. This text is going to shorten your list. There's only one way, one way only. And when I say it, you're not going to believe it. And when I say it, you're going to say, yeah, but. And when I say it, you're going to be like, there's got to be more. I know because I've been doing this for a long time. How do you love loyally? How do you make enduring friendships? How do you form enduring communities? How do you get loyal love? There's only one answer. The seed. The imperishable seed, the living and active seed, alone. Alone. I know I need to prove it just a tad. Let's do it. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How can you? Look at verse 23. Here it comes. Since or because you've been born again. Oh, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable Here's how you've been born again. If you're a Christian, something, God has done something to you. If you're a Christian, you have been given a new nature. You've been given a new self. If you're a Christian, you no longer just have the grass self. You now have been added to the grass self, one person, but you now got two natures. You get a new self. You've been born again, Peter says. Or in other parts in the text, he says, you now have a purified soul a new soul. You now have a pure heart, a new heart. Christian, this is so important. The grass self didn't go away. The grass self never changes. You're a new person by addition, not subtraction. Since you've been born again, but how did you get born again? That's the key. How did you get born again? And then, and then how because this is what's going to happen here. That word born again, let's go over to it, grammar geeks. Here we go. Have been born again. That tense is that. That's called perfect. So that means it's a completed action in the past with ongoing effects in the future, in the present. 
So something's been done. God has done something to you. You've been given a new nature. And that new nature has ongoing, present, continual effects. In other words, you start growing. That new nature starts growing. That new nature starts transforming you. That new nature starts being pushed into your marriage and pushed into your parenting. That new nature now. How does all that happen? By the seed. Not by effort. Certainly not by trying to keep the law. But by the seed. How does God transform you? By the perishable seed. Not by the perishable seed, but by the imperishable seed. Through the living and abiding word of God. Well, what is this perishable seed? What is? Well, it's the living and active word of God. Verse 23. And in verse 25, we round it all off just in case we missed it. And this word is what? Good advice? Good news. And now it all makes sense. That's why Peter, Paul says, listen, the gospel is the power of God. It's where God breaks in. The gospel is where Jesus shows up. The gospel is where all things get obliterated that oppose him and new things start happening. By hearing, that's why it makes sense. Paul says, listen, do you want to know how you grow? Do you want to know how you transform? Do you want to know how you love loyally? When you hear good news, the seed gets planted in you and the seed has divine life and divine power in it. It carries its own divine energies. You don't bring anything to it. And when you hear it, you read it, and it's preached to you, it gets planted in you, and it grows. And it makes a loyal lover. It changes you. It bears fruit. You get born again for the first time if you're a Christian. And then you get continually sanctified if you are a Christian. Unbelievable. Think of it this way. There's an image that we use over and over again. If you're hearing this now for like the millionth time, you're going to want to check out. Don't master the image so that you can communicate it to others so I don't have to do it over and over and over again all the time. Those of you that haven't heard it, here it is. If I take a piece of glass, a piece of glass, and I plant it in the ground, and I water it, and I fertilize it, and I become the glass whisperer, grow, glass, grow. I have a clear thumb for being a glass planter. Is that glass going to grow? No. If I take a raw commandment and say, love one another, it's a piece of glass. If I give you good advice, it's a piece of glass. And I can water it, and I can fertilize it, and I can exhort you, and I can encourage you, and I can shame you. And I can give you 10 lists, but it will never grow. But if I just take a seed, an imperishable seed, and I preach it, and I plant it, it has all the life and all the power already in it, and it does the work. Good news. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but what do I do, Jeff? I mean, seriously, I've got to do something. Okay. 
Um, I, do I just sit around? Here's the answer. Did you see it? Verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Get preached to. How much do you value gospel preaching? How much do you build your life around hearing the gospel? How much do you build your family around hearing the gospel? How much do you build your parenting around hearing the gospel? You want something to do? Get preached at. You want something to do? Build your life, your family, your church around gospel preaching. You want something to do? Build a mission around hearing good news. You want something to do? Be spoken back to life again. You want to do something? Yeah, get spoken back to life again. That's what we do. All right, let's look at verse 24. Here's how we're going to end. For all flesh is like grass, all the glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But here it comes. Here, that word, those words. Remember, those are ancient words. They were written by Isaiah to guess what kind of people? To people that are in doom. The people that are experiencing exile. But why are they experiencing exile? Well, God was really clear to them. They were disloyal in their love to him. They were disloyal in their love to their parents. They were disloyal to their love to their spouse. They were disloyal in their love to their children. They were disloyal in their love to their neighbor. They were disloyal to their love to their community leaders. And they were doomed because of their disloyalty to exile, Babylonian exile, a dark power held them. So that says to them, your flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but don't miss this. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Do you see it? We might as well say, but the word of the Lord is loyal forever. We might as well say, I'm Hermione. I'm not going to let you die alone. You have a loyal friend in all your disloyalty. You have a loyal friend in all the doom of what's called the sinful nature. You have a loyal friend as you struggle. You have a loyal friend that says, I will go with you. And I will wither so that you never wither. And I will fall so that you will never fall. And I will always be loyal in my love to God and to others so I can give my loyalty to you. Now, now you can love loyally. When you get that he loyally loves you and it starts working itself into your heart like a seed, you start loyally loving 